This is Israeli Technology Founders Speak, a podcast of conversations with successful Israeli high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs, with your host, Avraham Hermon. Josh Lawrence is the co-founder and COO of Stratic, a venture-backed startup that creates static and headless WordPress sites, making WordPress faster, more secure, and infinitely scalable. Avraham sat down with Josh in the offices of JMB Davis Ben David in Jerusalem to discuss how Stratic markets to their audience, how they went from a startup that no one wanted to fund to one that raised $6.5 million, why Israeli startups are so successful, and tips for startup founders. This podcast is a creation of J.M.B. Davis Ben David, an intellectual property law firm serving clients around the world. You have great innovations. We keep them safe. It's not enough to just have a great startup idea or innovation. If you don't legally protect your innovations, products, and brand, anyone can claim them as their own. We keep your great innovation secure. Learn more by going to jmbdavis.com. That's J-M-B-D-A-V-I-S dot com. Okay, Josh, welcome. Thanks for coming out to our offices in Jerusalem. And we're talking today about your company, Stratic. You are the co-founder of Stratic. And uh, I want to know what problem does Stratic solve? Stratic solves uh, a number of problems um, associated with websites, specifically WordPress websites. WordPress makes up 42.3 or more at this point percent of the internet. And uh, it's an incredibly powerful tool that's used by millions and millions of people around the world. But it also has uh, some associated pain points with it. Um, and everybody wants, for example, everyone wants their website to be faster. So performance, uh, w- w- uh, WordPress websites are the most hacked type of website or technology on the planet. Uh, so security and scalability. Um, let's say you're running a marketing campaign, you're going to get an influx of traffic making sure that your website stays performant, fast, doesn't get slower, or it doesn't crash. Uh, we solve all of those problems. You're dealing with websites that are business-oriented, and you're helping improve the experience for people that are using their website. Yes. It's a business problem, certainly, but it's a human problem. Um, these are people that are managing websites and maintaining websites and trying to get websites to perform better. These are business owners. These are marketers. These are developers. Um, we've seen is that developers in particular really relate to these problems. They feel them even on an emotional level. Uh, they can't sleep at night because they worry about their website, that, you know, the website that they're in charge of. Mm-hmm. They have to maintain it. They have to make sure that it doesn't have downtime. They have to make sure that it's performant, that it doesn't get hacked. And we give them peace of mind. So this, this is, a, even though it's a, a technology, it's a website um, and businesses use it uh, for business purposes. It's the face of a company. Um, it's very much a human problem. Okay, so can you explain how it works? What's behind it? Sure, to a certain extent, I, I can. <laughs> um, on a high level, uh, what we do is we're an end-to-end hosting platform for WordPress websites. We take a WordPress website, allow you to continue using it as you're used to. And then when you click publish, our system automatically re-architects the site into a static or headless version of itself, which is basically the most modern advanced type of website and then serves it up on a CDN, a content delivery network, which in our case means that your website is now being served up 
uh, fully pre-rendered to 225 locations around the world. Uh, so it's local to whoever, whoever is visiting it, mm-hmm. as opposed to sitting on one server in one location in the world. And let's say it's somewhere in New Jersey or Texas, wherever, and you have visitors in Australia. Um, it has to go all the way, you know, in the legacy traditional way of hosting a website, it has to go all the way from that original server location to your end viewer. And that means lag. That means it takes longer and a slower user experience for that visitor. No one wants a slow website. And uh, that's clear that, that that's an advantage that you guys have being able to make access to websites a lot faster. Can you briefly explain about how you make it safer? Sure. By re-architecting the website into a static version of itself or a headless, decoupled, Jamstack, there are a lot of terms for, or serverless even, a lot of terms that kind of more or less mean the same thing. We remove the underlying processing code uh, from that website that's served up to the world. So the vast majority, 99.999% of the hackable code uh, that the world normally sees in a WordPress website doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what we serve up is just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. That's mm-hmm. all that the world sees. And in addition to that, when the website is not being edited, uh, so when the, the marketers, content people, or developers are not logged into their WordPress website, our system automatically spins down the WordPress admin, so the, Word, the actual WordPress website. Uh, so it literally, it just doesn't even exist as far as the world is concerned. As far as users are concerned, what sort of changes does a user have to have to do as opposed to using WordPress directly uh, if he wants to use your service? One of the things that we really believe in is trying to keep the user experience. And by user, uh, I'm talking about our customer, mm-hmm. um, that marketer or developer or content person, keep their user experience as similar to what they're used to as possible. Uh, so there are some changes. Um, the uh, live website can't interact with the database of the website, which means that Functionality that is intrinsically dynamic, and I don't mean something that's inter- that seems dynamic on the website, but I mean that needs to interact with the database, uh, can't. So what we do is we find different ways, very creative or um, complex ways of supporting dynamic functionality so that you get the same user experience. But there is a, there is certainly a slight learning curve as far as what you need to keep in mind. Uh, generally speaking, the major difference is that you're clicking a static publish button when you want to publish your changes to your web, to your live website. That actually gives you certain benefits. We have a, a preview publish area. So you can do it, uh, you can click preview publish and you see an exact replica of what your live site would look like with those changes in place. If you want to get certain approvals, if you want to make sure that everything looks right or behaves right exactly as you want it, you can do that and use the preview publish. And then you can click to live. Um, and that's the major change that there's a static publish instead of just the regular old WordPress publish button that you're used to. So you're saying there's not such a big difference in terms of the developers, users that are using your system, if they want to use your system. That's certainly the vision. Uh, and yes, right now, it depends how you use your website and what you're using your website for. But the um, our, our mission is to keep it the same. You get to use WordPress the same as you're used to. The output is now the most advanced website possible, faster, safer, infinitely more scalable. And you don't need to worry about maintenance, uptime, you know, or anything like that. So tell me a little bit about your customers. You currently have customers. Uh, what stage are you at in terms of your company? We do have customers. We have lots of uh, great customers and we uh, recently surveyed them and we're extremely uh, excited about the results. I, I think uh, I think we may have published some of the results, but the vast, vast majority of customers of our customers would be 
disappointed, somewhere between somewhat and extremely disappointed if Stratic didn't exist, uh, if they couldn't use Stratic, um, which is a very good sign as far as uh, product market fit and uh, what people are seeing. Um, we've got like amazing companies like Pioneer, HoneyBook, CoreLogics, Panarays, uh, the United Nations uh, keeps adding sites to, to Stratic, uh, various governments around the world and uh, around the world in uh, universities. We're seeing pretty incredible results, and we keep uh, releasing more and more case studies showing this. For example, in the month after Payoneer onboarded their site to Stratic, uh, they saw about a 3% increase in conversion rates because of mm-hmm. the increase in speed. For them, that means thousands of additional customers. Wow. Um, and of course, uh, we're seeing massive benefits to uh, SEO and Google rankings across the board. Your business ultimately will do better. If you're using your website for any business purposes, it will do better and you will have uh, better SEO, better uh, rankings, better conversion rates, lower bounce rates uh, if you're on Stratic, um, which is a bold statement, but we keep showing more and more proof. Um, and that's our goal, to not have to recode your entire site or rebuild your entire site. Keep using WordPress, same as always, gain those benefits. Got it. So you said 40% of the web use WordPress. So that's a seems like it's an incredible market potential here. How do you market your your service? How do you market Stratic to those to that huge market that exists? Um, it's a good question. It's uh, definitely a major challenge. Most of our customers are inbound. Um, they're looking for a solution to these pain points. Maybe they're ahead of the curve and are specifically looking for a static solution or headless solution or Jamstack for WordPress. They, you know, so it's generally speaking, web developers or highly technical marketers uh, that are finding us and that right away get excited about the fact that they get to continue using WordPress, but get that out, uh, modern output. But it's a challenge because if you look at every legacy hosting company on the planet, they all claim to make your site faster, safer, or scalable. They all make these claims, but they're all basically doing the same thing that, you know, that GoDaddy started 20 whatever years ago mm-hmm. um, from a technology perspective, more or less. So it's differentiating ourselves has a lot to do with educating the market about what headless means about the, or, or stat again, there are a lot of different terms, Jamstack, static, um, about the fact that you can have those benefits for a serious website. You can, and, and that you don't need to throw away your entire website. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of education that needs to happen. And the education that needs to happen in order for you to get to the client and to understand that he has a problem to begin with. Or? They know that they have a problem. Uh, so that's, that's not an issue. Telling people that they have a problem, you know, that they're feeling pain because of their website, because they're stressed or anxious about, uh, provisioning servers, uh, before a campaign, or you're going to have a big, you know, um, press release or, you know, a startup having an announcement at TechCrunch. They're going to have an influx of traffic, making sure that your site doesn't go down during that time. You know, a DevOps person might be tasked with that and it's very stressful for them. Uh, a marketer wants better SEO. They want better conversion rates. Um, or the web developer that's tasked with that. They, they know about these pain points. And certainly if a company is security conscious, uh, they know that WordPress is uh, an incredibly vulnerable platform. Mm-hmm. So, um, from a security standpoint, it's, it's a, a known thing. Uh, all of these things, maintenance, security, scalability, performance, anyone with a WordPress website is likely feeling one of them. And, and anyone with any kind of website, for that matter, wants it to be faster. That's for sure. So le- teaching people about the pain points is not something we need to do. Teaching them about uh, or educating the market. And we're one company among a number of companies that are doing this. Uh, educating the market about the fact that uh, static or headless uh, 
solves many or most or all of these problems. That's number one. And number two, and this is most important for us, that you can get static headless, a, a static headless website while continuing to use WordPress. The same as always on Stratic. Mm-hmm. Um, we want developers to know when they start looking for a solution, when they're um, feeling that pain, when someone says this is, this has to be better or they're just, they can't take it anymore. Um, that they know about Stratic. We want to be the go-to obvious option because when people do find out about us, it, it is the obvious option for them. And they say, okay, why didn't I know about this before? So it's just a matter of getting to those people and uh, having them understand that, that uh, you can solve their problems. Right. Being clear about the fact that we really do solve them as opposed to the uh, incumbent, you know, large companies in the, in the space, in, in host in web hosting that claim to, mm-hmm. um, to make your site faster, to make your site safer, uh, more scalable. And, um, and, and that you can, you can get all these benefits from us. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of messaging that we have to try to get into one place. We are hosting mm-hmm. your site end to end. We're an end to end platform. You get to use WordPress, same as always. You get a headless output. It's, it's kind of complex, uh, mm-hmm. to get that messaging across in, in a clear way. So I understand that you went to Silicon Valley to raise $2 million and then came back with six and a half million dollars. Can you explain how that happened or in general, give, give us an overview about raising money for your startup, turning it from an idea into something that's funded. Yeah. Fundraising is, is a whole world, um, in and of itself. We, we actually went, uh, at the time we were planning to raise a, a $1.5 million seed round. We had a really difficult time fundraising in Israel. Um, because although we are an Israeli startup, we are not your typical Israeli founders. First of all, my, my co-founder and business partner, Miriam Schwab, she is our CEO. So right off the bat, we have a female CEO and that's something that, uh, from a VC standpoint, certainly at that point, and I think still is, uh, is, uh, difficult. Um, there's a lot of discrimination. Also, as far as uh, where we're located, we're, we, our offices, our main, our headquarters was, uh, we're in Jerusalem, which is unusual. Most, uh, startups and tech companies in Israel are in the Tel Aviv area, in the center of the country. We're trying to change that too, you know. It's been something that's, you know, that people have been trying to change or that factually has been, you know, untrue. Just as far as if you look at the largest exits in, you know, in Israeli history, primarily they're Jerusalem, either they began in Jerusalem or they were Jerusalem companies. Yeah. We're sitting as we speak right across the street from Mobileye, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the perception still is that, um, you know, if you want to be a successful startup, uh, then you're in the center and, uh, most, at least in my experience, most VCs in Israel are in the center of the country in the Tel Aviv area. Uh, there are not many, the Jerusalem area, and there are not many that are focused on the Jerusalem area. And it's viewed as a weaker tech ecosystem, which we, uh, or, or at least that's what we, we heard from VCs, um, at the time, a few years ago. We knew that that was silly. There's a tremendous amount of tech talent in Jerusalem, in and, ar- and around Jerusalem. Fantastic developers and engineers and marketers and, Every, everyone that you would want to hire. And they're all commuting into, you know, back then, at least before remote times, they were all commuting into the Tel Aviv area every, every day and they hated commuting. Mm-hmm. So we actually knew that it was a, a huge strength that we had that we could say, okay, we're this really cool, exciting startup and we're great to work for. And everyone loves working at Stratic and um, we're a lot of fun and all that. And you don't have to commute all the way to Tel Aviv every day. You don't have to spend, you know, two to four hours on the road or trains or whatever every day anymore. 
Um, so we knew that that was a benefit, but from a fundraising perspective, it was not. Um, we're also, we're not, we're not your typical 8,200 unit people, Mary and I. Uh, so it's, it's just not what the VCs here in Israel are used to. Also, mm-hmm. you know, web, the, as far as back then, they knew about Wix, um, right. which is a, an amazing company, certainly, but, uh, you know, we, it's not what we do. We work with WordPress, which is at the time, maybe it was, 30% of the internet. Now it's 42.3% of the internet projected to be 50% by 2025. Wix is, um, you know, one or 2%, I think, of the internet and um, an amazing company. But if, from their perspective, if we can't work with Wix, we have no business, which we heard at least a hundred times. Interesting. So it came from the, uh, VCs not really understanding the market. Yeah. And to be fair, um, a few years back, WordPress, most people did not understand that WordPress was not just for, you know, cat blogs. Um, it's a, ma- you know, immensely powerful marketing tool that most marketers consider uh, or consider a required part of their tech stack. So, um, and, and that most enterprise companies use WordPress and most companies full stop use WordPress. In fact, you use WordPress. You should move your site to strategy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, mo- most people didn't realize that. I think it's been in over the last maybe two or three years. That uh, the world has realized how massive WordPress is. Um, Automatic, the company uh, behind WordPress, is an open source project, and there's a company behind it called Automatic. They've you know raised a lot of money and uh, been in the news more and more over the last few years, and um, and so you know it, it took the world realizing how big WordPress is also for people to understand what we were doing, what we were aiming to accomplish. So let's just circle back to your uh, Silicon Valley and and raising funds. So how how do we uh... How did you manage to, to pull that off in, in Silicon Valley? After <laughs> meeting with nearly every VC in Israel and doing due, you know, going through due diligence with most of them and, uh, ultimately hearing no, uh, many, many, many times, hundreds of times, uh, which any entrepreneur needs to be comfortable with, by the way. If you want to create a startup, be fully, fully okay with hearing no over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they're not saying no, uh, because they can't do it or anything like that. They're saying no to you as a person, especially at an early stage. It's purely a belief in you and your vision uh, before, you know, because if you're coming in as an early stage startup, you can't say, look at my years of traction. You can't say, look at how profitable we are. You're not a standard business. You're saying, look at me, look at our vision, look at our industry. Do you believe us? Do you believe in us? And um, and so it's hard. It's really hard to hear that over and over again. And you have to be fully okay with it. You have to be comfortable with it. We went to, uh, at, at a certain point, all of our pre-seed funding, or, or the I shouldn't say all, the vast majority of our pre-seed funding came from uh, the U.S., specifically uh, Silicon Valley. Um, our uh, first investor and um, I would say our, our most important partner in, in our early stages, and maybe still, is a uh, 25-year veteran angel investor in Palo Alto that I happened to have the good luck uh, to walk over to and meet in a restaurant in Jerusalem you know, started talking to him about strategy. And, wow. Yeah. So it all comes back to Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Crave, if you have to know. It, it was uh, sp- yeah, specifically there. And, um, uh, you know, he got excited about it. He uh, was, he funded us for a long time. And at a certain point, uh, we realized, you know, if he's, he's the, uh, we, and we did have great investors here in Israel as well. But uh, uh, that was where the majority of our uh, pre-seed money came from. And, um, and so we said, okay, they, there's a lot more money there and we're not, we're just not going to be able to raise money here in Israel. Israeli VCs don't get us, don't connect us. So we went to, uh, we decided to go to San Francisco and we, we spent, 
uh, a few weeks there, uh, we got a lot of introductions uh, beforehand. So it was a, an action-packed few weeks. We came back to Israel and then um, things continued to move along. Uh, at a certain point, I said, um, basically, we, we need to just focus on this. And I actually said, I'm not, I'm going to go back to, we're, we're, we need to go back to San Francisco to be in person because that, everything was in person then. Um, and I'm not leaving until we close the round. Wow. And I lived out of a hotel for uh, about two and a half months. My wife came and visited me with our kids in the hotel a few times. Uh, it was quite a crazy time. And Miriam came back and forth, my co-founder, uh, co our CEO. Um, and uh, and our, our CTO, around that time, one of our earliest angel investors, uh, his name is Zev Sarasky. He's the principal architect and co-creator of the PHP coding language and the co-founder of a company called Zend, which was the PHP company. He joined us full-time as our CTO about around that time when we were raising our, our seed round. Uh, so he also came out uh, to help with fundraising. Um, and we gained traction with VCs very quickly. We had a, a huge funnel of VCs. So every day we were running around and meeting with, I would say, at least five to 10 VCs. Wow. And getting more and more and more introductions every day. Eventually we got, um, it was not easy. We certainly got plenty of no's there also. Mm -hmm. um, but we got a term sheet uh, immediately after getting the term sheet. Less than 12 hours after getting the term sheet, we got another uh, we, term sheet, which, uh, and, and then the, the round was immediate, was insanely oversubscribed. And then, and then all of a sudden everything flipped around and every conversation with VCs that we had went from us pitching them to them pitching us. Interesting. From the beginning, didn't ask us a single question, just telling us why we should go with them instead of the VCs that we were, that we had uh, signed term sheets. Um, so it was, it, it was really an interesting experience. FOMO plays a tremendous part in fundraising. Wow. So you can sort of leverage one against the other. Yeah. We ended up going with both of those VCs. Um, they both invested. First one being uh, 10110 out of Los Angeles. The second one being Signal Fire in San Francisco. And um, they've been great partners mm -hmm. to us. And then uh, we, after that, it was just trying to fit as much as we could into the round because we had our early investors that really, you know, that we wanted to make sure to have room for and we had um, strategic investors like Automatic, the company behind WordPress. They were investors. So it was trying to make sure that there was enough room for everyone that we really wanted to have in, in the um, round. Eric Reese, the uh, the author of Lean Startup and mm -hmm. an incredibly experienced uh, operator, founder, investor, uh, he was actually a huge help to us. We got an introduction to him through uh, a friend, Shirley Schoenfeld, and he made a lot of introductions for us, or they made a lot of introductions for us that open doors, uh, which is a big deal. Getting good introductions is really important and anyone can do it. I truly believe that anyone can get good introductions. If your idea is good enough, the team's good enough. Sure. Yes. Uh, but I think the most important thing is persistence and confidence. You have to have a, a tremendous amount of conviction in not just your idea, but in the fact that you will succeed no matter what. It doesn't matter if you, VC, whoever that I'm speaking to right now, say no to me because we're still going to succeed. Mm -hmm. Say no if you want. You're not, you, you will, you'll miss the train. Um, but we'll succeed no matter what, whether or not you come around and say, whoops, which we've had many, you know, to their credit, uh, actually a lot of Israeli VCs that's, that did say no to us, uh, are now customers of ours. And, um, some of them have tweeted, you know, jokes about how they told us so we would never succeed. And now they're customers of ours and they, you know, and fans. And so 
you know, you just have to know that you're going to succeed um, and try and try and try and try and reach out and not be afraid to ask people for favors. Um, it's certainly more, it's certainly easier in Israel to get in introductions than in the States. Even if you're, you know, you're, you're not a native born Israeli and you mentioned not being in the same uh, elite army intelligence unit that a lot of uh, stout, startup founders in the high tech world come from. But nevertheless, you think that uh, connections in Israel is easier than in the U.S. Oh, there's no question. It's, I, I, in my opinion, it's probably the reason why Israel is so successful in the startup world and creates and has so much innovation and so many successful startups and so much technology that comes out of the country because people, you have just a huge amount of talent that's and, and very smart, accomplished people that are condensed in a small area and that are open to helping and meeting with young entrepreneurs, first timers, not first timers. People really want to help. They really want to help each other genuinely. Mm -hmm. Even, even, you know, maybe founders of companies that are competing to a certain degree. Uh, we got advice from them. They met with us and gave us advice, good advice. Wow. Um, so, and I, and I had this in previous startups as well that, um, you know, really I could, I could generally, I, I don't think there, there was anyone that was not open to taking, uh, you know, 15 to 45 minute coffee meeting to give advice. And then they, they would generally make introductions after that as well. Mm -hmm. In the States, you don't get that. Interesting. Wow. So there's a sort of feeling of community here in Israel among startups, even in among competition. Yeah, I'm not going to go too far as far as among competition. I, I would say like if you're an early stage startup, uh, talking to a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, you know, company that's in your space and talking to the founder of that company, let's say, which we, we did, you know, and he was still happy to, to meet with us and give us advice and his thoughts on what we were doing and even make introductions for us. So, and, and, and really literally, and I'm not exaggerating, there was no one that we wanted to meet with that we couldn't meet with. And I, I had this in my last startup as well. Any founder, any VC, any anyone uh, would take time to meet, uh, take time out of their schedule, very very busy schedules, uh, to help us and you know give us advice, make introductions, whatever we were asking for. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you, what role does intellectual property have in your company, if any? We're talking about patents and potentially trademarks. Uh, it's a good question. I we, you know we decided not to pursue a patent early on. We're a software company. And we were, we, we did meet with uh, a firm, you know, years, years ago. And at the time, I think we were advised by them and some very, very experienced uh, VCs and startup people that uh, advised us based on what we we're doing, based on software, um, you know, that it wasn't a, a good direction for us to go in. We're also not the first company to, to do what we're doing or to try to do what we're doing. There were even, um, there was even at least one, I think maybe two Israeli startups that tried to do what we do, uh, and failed, mm -hmm. um, they, from a tech, on a technology level. They, they were not able to build what we built. And, and we felt like it was something that was better to not go into. Honestly, I'm really very far from an expert on it, but it took, uh, it's taken years and years and years for us to build what we have. And, um, we, our, our view is good luck to anyone trying, you know, to like, you know, go for it. You want to try to build it also. Every week we make it harder and harder and pull away further and further from anyone that might try to do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So you're saying your technology, there's a technology barrier here that's preventing others from copying you and doing exactly what you're doing. There are, yeah, there are a couple other companies, uh, that do more or less exactly what we do. Um, I, I, and when I say exactly what we do, I mean, 
converting WordPress websites to static. You know, they're uh, very nice. We all know each other from the WordPress space and conferences and stuff, and we're all friendly. Um, we're all trying to educate the market in a similar way. But we're, you know, a larger company with VC backing that wants to scale tremendously. Um, and let's, you know, we, we have different approaches, I would say. But for anyone that wants to jump in and try to build this now, even a big company, um, you need so many different types of areas of expertise to be able to do this. And you have to try so many different things and fail at those things over and over and over again until you figure out what works. Uh, there are no two websites that are the same. So automatically re-architecting them and keeping everything working and looking exactly the same each and every time and every time that anyone updates their site or changes anything and keeping the functionality working it, the same as always is unbelievably complex. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a technology barrier. I don't really know. What what do you think as far as uh, patents? Or oh, we could probably go on and on about that, but uh, I don't know if that's within the scope of our, <laughs> our discussion today. Let me ask you one more question. So you have a lot of experience with this startup and previous startups. What do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? First of all, just as far as a lot of experience, it's all relative. I have some experience. Um, I've had uh, I've had some successes and I've had plenty of failures. I I know that every day that goes by that goes by, I learn more, which shows me more and more about how little I know and how much I need to learn. When I fir- when I started my first company and I was 24, mm-hmm. um, 23, 24, something like that. I was sure that I knew everything. I mean, really, I was so confident. I, when I look back, <laughs> I, it's, it's really funny. And, um, it was a fairly successful company, uh, not a tech company. It was a services business, but you know, I, I was so confident that I, you know, I, I, when I would get advice from people that knew more than me, which is anybody, by the way, I would say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Now I, I love asking for advice. I love getting advice. I, for, for years now, I'm always looking for people that are more experienced than I am in every area. Um, we have amazing advisors. Uh, we have investors that advise us. We have, we've had, uh, amazing advisors like, uh, Dudu Mimran, who, um, has been, uh, with us and advising us since the very beginning. Uh, he's a co-founder of Morphosec. He's an incredibly experienced person, especially in the cyberspace. And we, um, you know, going, I, I know that there's no, not only is there no harm in asking for advice, but it's massively beneficial to put your ego on the side and ask people. It's, you know, ask people, uh, what do you think about what we're, uh, you know, what do you think about our plans? What do you think we should do? Does this make sense? Um, test it on people that are more experienced and more knowledgeable than you are. And I, I know people that are infinitely more experienced than I am that say the same thing. Uh, so I don't think that should ever stop. Okay, great. I mean, this is a, a lesson that we know from our, tradition from our Talmud, which says, who is wise, one who learns from everyone. And it seems that you're putting that into practice. Thanks a lot for the conversation. Uh, Thank you. I uh, I appreciate learning from you about your business and also getting a lot of insight in how to not only start a startup, but also how to be persistent. And this has been uh, motivational. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. That was Josh Lawrence, the co-founder and COO of Stratic. We hope you enjoyed this episode. There are many more to come. Do you have a great innovation or startup idea? We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by going to our website, jmbdavis.com. 
D-A-V-I-S.com. And if you go to jmbdavis.com forward slash startup, you'll see we have a special site specifically made for startups to help startups protect their innovations. Please be in touch with us and find out how we can help you. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode.